And we are live, everyone, for a new episode of the Electric Podcast. I am Fred Lamberg, your host. And this is the last week, three in a row. I know it's last week where Seth is not here. He's still on vacation in Japan with his family. And it's just too hard to make uh, to make things work with the, the time difference and all that. Um, and also, I know this episode is a little bit early, so uh, I'm going to let people come in and everything. But um, yeah, I have uh, just have an important meeting this afternoon, and I need to drive for it. So uh, I need to get on the road right after this podcast and uh, jump into the Model 3 and get there. But that's perfectly fine because uh, we have plenty to discuss today. Uh, so, But we, we still should have some time to take your question at the end of the night. So if, uh, if uh, at the end of the uh, episode... So if there's uh, enough people here to ask questions, uh, we, we'll, we'll have some time to discuss. So if you have any question, any subject about the EV world that uh, you want us to um, to interact on at the end of the show, you can put it in the comment section right now. I'm going to remind you of that a little bit later on. Uh, but we have plenty to talk about, so let's just jump right in here. How does that work? Boom, like that. There you go. Uh, all right, let's start out with... Um, the new Model S and X short range. Uh, that's uh, something that Tesla introduced. This uh, I say new, but this thing existed before, but it hasn't existed since the, the Model 3 refresh and, and maybe even a little before that. Uh, Tesla has always played a lot with the Model S and X trims uh, with different battery size. I mean, it used to be at least based on different battery size and, and then Tesla switched to the only the 100 uh, kilowatt hour battery capacity. Closer to 95 usable, I think. Anyway, now they relaunched a standard range earlier this week. And uh, it it comes in at $10,000 cheaper. So for the Model S, it now starts at $78,490. And uh, you lose 85 miles uh, for that $10,000. So you get 320 miles instead of the 405 that you get on the Model S long range. Uh, similar thing, mm, sorry, similar thing for the Model X. Uh, you get 79 fewer miles for 269 um, miles of range. Also $10,000 cheaper starting now at $88,000 for the Model X. So they weren't too close from the, uh, you know, Model X could get uh, 80000 and an SUV, uh, they could get the, the federal tax credit in the U.S. Because obviously I'm talking about U.S. prices here. The vehicle also is, av- the two new standard range vehicles also now available in Canada as well. And uh, so when Tesla launched that earlier this week, when first thing that thought my mind is like, is that a new software locked vehicle? Uh, and um, didn't uh, took long to, to realize it. I called a few uh, Tesla centers, Tesla advisors, and they were able to confirm it that this is indeed a software lock Model S long range. So this is exactly the same vehicle as a long range with some software, some some battery capacity being locked um, to, to to resulting in that shorter um, range. Now I know this has been somewhat of a controversial approach on Tesla in the past because they haven't done they haven't done that in years and years and years and years. Uh, Tesla has only offered the Model S with the bigger battery pack. And uh, they've never done that, if I remember correctly, on Model 3 and Y. Oh, well, they did it with the Model 3 in Canada uh, with the 93 miles range uh, Model 3 a while to get access to, to the the incentive, the government incentive, uh, by locking the price because they, the, they had this thing where you could get the, 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 the 
base price was the important thing. The MSRP was the important thing. The add-ons wouldn't affect the threshold to get access to the, the price threshold to get access to the full uh, um, to to the incentive, the government incentive. So you could then unlock the capacity after the fact because no one wants a 93 miles car. Well, I mean, no one nowadays uh, used to be more of a compliance car range, 93 miles. So now it's back with the more S and X. And I, I don't, I don't really understand the complaints here because on social media, people and in the, our comment section, two people have been going a little bit um, all over the place uh, about uh, about this software lot capacity. My my thing has always been like, if it's clear to the consumer, well, there, there's two approaches. So it's on the actual like efficiency side it's definitely bad like why would you lock it we're talking about 21 percent about of the capacity being locked here so 21 percent of the of your battery capacity is unusable um the advantage that people talk about even though it's not like that big of an advantage is that you can charge to 100 percent every day and technically not affect your battery longevity because that 100 percent is actually 80 percent so that's that's good, I guess. But you can do that. <laughs> you can do that on your car that you have 100% battery capacity and just charge it to 80%. And whenever you need it, you can charge it to 100%, like I'm doing right now because I, I'm doing a little bit of a road trip or whatever. Anyway, so you don't want so you're producing a car where you never theoretically never going to use 20% of the capacity. That's 20% lost. Uh, that you could put, you could use on another car that Tesla could produce. So, you know, you produce a couple of Model S with a, a 20% smaller battery pack, then you can produce, an, you have all the batteries for a new car, so you're wasting that battery. Of course, Tesla's counter-argument to the efficiency side of thing is like, it's actually on the manufacturing side, it's less efficient for them to produce a whole new battery pack, even if it's smaller. So that efficiency loss it, it, it compensate for uh, justifying the software like battery pack and the argument is also at the end of the day everything's going to get recycled so it's not like it's completely lost okay i get out argument also even though some test advisors uh i've, I've heard other people because i called two and one of them told me that they didn't know i never and no one told me directly that they didn't they the tesla would never offer an upgrade like unlocking the, the range after the fact after delivery which has been the case before that's what they've done before you can pay after the fact but they, they've told so to some other people which i wouldn't take those comments with a grain of salt because it makes no sense to me i think tesla will offer eventually the unlocking of that battery capacity because otherwise they're just they're leaving money on the table uh, and i don't see tesla doing that like why would you because right now they are selling those those cars those small S and X, uh, maybe not at a loss, but close to one because it is the they are producing the long range small S, which so it costs the same as them producing the long range small S, but they are selling it for ten thousand dollar less. So they are leaving that money on the table. So I'm for sure, maybe not right now, but for sure in the future they're gonna open it up to uh, uh, to get access to that twenty percent lock capacity. I think now on the consumer side, so some people are frustrated about the fact that like Tesla is selling me a car. And the capacity is there, but it's just software that's locking it. Uh, so I bought the car. I, the car is mine. I just Tesla is has written software that locked access to some capacity that the car I just bought, which is completely mine. Because if you bought it outright, like a, I don't know if loan technically the bank is involved or whatnot. But anyway, you get my point. If you're coming in 
knowing that, then there's no issue there. I don't, I don't see how you can complain about that. Now, Tesla might see, might acknowledge that there is a negative connotation to this approach of selling vehicles because it's, it's not clear on the website. It's, it's, there's nothing on the website that says, hey, this is a long-range Model S that we've locked batteries so when we were calling it a standard-range Model S or X. There's none of that. The only indication on the website that it is the same car is that they are the same weight. So it definitely doesn't have 20% of batteries because that's a few hundred pounds that you would save. So you, you, you need to, I, I, I mean, I've, I've, been, I've not been in a situation where I've like, oh, I'm interested in the standard range and see how the test advisor respond to that. I've literally asked them, is this a software locked vehicle? And they said, yes. So Tesla is not promoting the fact that it is a software locked vehicle. It's just you have to ask basically. So that might indicate that there's a somewhat of an indicative uh, connotation to it, I, w- I would think. So I, I, I get that, but... And you know, if everyone knows what they're getting into, I don't see a problem. Uh, the cyber trucks, there have been a lot of cyber truck sighting lately in the last few days. Like if you're on social media in the Tesla world, all you see is uh, cyber trucks on trucks. <laughs> it's, um, it's getting a bit annoying, but it's worth mentioning at least to, to, to get an idea of what's happening. So last weekend, we spotted nine Tesla cyber trucks at uh, the Tesla Gigafactory in, in Texas. So it was a good indication that some trucks are coming out of the factory. That's nice. Uh, and then since then, a lot of trucks have been spotted on the road, more than nine, on, on truckloads, basically. So they, they've been truckloads um, shipping out of Gigafactory, Texas, more than nine at this point. Because uh, nine of them has been spotted yesterday in Fremont Factory. So Tesla sent a bunch of them in Fremont. And some of them have been spotted in Arkansas and Indiana. So they're going north, northeast. Um, I would assume toward Michigan, like likely for some official crash testing or, um, or or some like emission regulation, like emissions. It's an electric car, but uh, it still needs to be tested. So there's some regulatory process that, that do happen there. So they might be going there. And Fremont, they might be going for a ton of other things. Like the Tesla has so many different facilities, including its own tr- uh, crash test facility. So Tesla perform its crash test internally, but also uh, regulatory agencies and uh, other agencies like uh, uh, the uh, Insurance uh, Institute Association um, do perform their own. So maybe Tesla is bringing them for the car for that because some of the cars spotted on the road uh, did have signage on them that would indicate that they've been involved in the crash test or are going to be involved in the crash test. So that's happening right now. And I think I think they confirmed about twelve cyber trucks that were shipped out of uh, Gigafactory, Texas, maybe even more. So a good sign that uh, production is coming soon, starting soon. All right, this one was a really interesting one. Tesla launched a new product this week. It's called the Universal Wall Connector. Uh, very interesting product. It's basically a Tesla wall connector, a home charger station from Tesla, which Tesla sells both with a J1772 or um, uh, its own NAX connector. You have the option of one or the other. Now you can have both on the same one. And it's not a dual connector. It's basically a magic duct, like the solution that Tesla has on the supercharger, where you have the receptor as an adapter connected to it. And if you just unplug the um, handle, you get a NAX connector. And if you 
press another button or in, in the case of the magic dock is to the app you unlock it to the app uh, because like you don't want anyone to leave with the adapter uh, but this is for a home station or or a, a commercial level two station you click the button and then the the adapter which adapter stash receptor comes out with it and you have a nax 2j1772 connector which you can use for any ev uh this is the, i'm going to play the video you're going to be able to yeah to see how it works exactly. I'm pretty straightforward, obviously, but it's um, it's a very cool product because Tesla already had a big advantage since the clear momentum toward Nax being adopted as the North American standard now for charging with its own charger being so much cheaper um, spec-wise compared. If you go specs for, for spec, Tesla's connector is a very good deal, obviously. Um, and a lot of people have been buying the G7, D7, two ones and, and the Nax one. But this is very good because this, this could be good for a household that have both currently Tesla vehicles and non-Tesla electric vehicles. But also it, it could be good for anyone right now buying a non-Tesla electric car. Uh, because obviously with Nax coming, you, when you buy a, a charger, I mean, you're, you're buying in the long term. Uh, a car too, obviously, but sometimes not as long term as uh, depending on the people. Like I know, I know people that buy cars every two years or lease them or whatever, uh, and those that do that every ten years, whatever. But it's the charger. You want to install it, you invest like hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars sometimes in the installation with an electrician, all that. You want that to be long term. You want that to be future proof. And if you're buying a non-Tesla EV right now, from most automakers now announcing that they are switching to Nax. Uh, you don't necessarily want to install a J1772 when uh, it's going to switch over, when, when your next car is most likely going to be an Axe uh, connector on it. Now, you, there are adapters for J1772 also, like just like they are for CCS. So it's not, it's maybe not that big of a deal. But uh, adapters are just not a perfect solution. It's, it's a little bit more annoying to handle. And uh, like if, if you have a wall connector from Tesla and you put the G17 2 on it, you cannot put it on the receptor so that the, the handle has to hang or you have to find another solution. Uh, so this is a perfect solution because you, you can now use it with the adapter for your non-Tesla EV that has J uh, CCS basically. And in the future, if you want to update, like buy the same car, but a new generation, if you really love that car or any other vehicle, electric vehicle, really, uh, Tesla or otherwise, it's going to have an axe on it. So now you, you can just stop using the adapter, just use direct, directly the NAX on the universal wall connector and boom. So, yeah, I think I think this is going to be a winner for a lot of people that are buying non-Tesla um, EVs right now. And it's going to put a lot of pressures on charging station, charging uh, home charging solution uh, manufacturer because, like I said, Tesla's offering was already very competitive, very good. And now you have this one that, that has this unique aspect to it. That's very nice. And it's still pretty cheap, $595, like $600 bucks for uh, up to 11.5 kilowatt char- home charging station that is Wi-Fi capable and all the nice features. It's just going to be very hard to compete right now against that, I think. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, the Oh, yeah. We had the, this indication from a Tesla job listing that Tesla is looking to build uh, its own first-of-its-kind data centers. Centers, plural. Uh, so that it was from um, 
a job filing for a senior engineering program manager in the data center division. And the, the posting says this role will lead to a hand-to-hand -hand design and engineering of Tesla's first-of-its-kind data centers. And they'll be one of the key members of the factory engineering team. So Tesla is looking like this. This uh, this is uh, a lot of people talked about this concept image here. It's uh, one that they created with AI. Um, it's not going to be like that. That the data center is going to look like a lot of data centers actually don't look cool for good reason. You just don't want to attract attention to them uh, for security reason. I just I just thought that maybe Tesla wouldn't do that, and I uh, use AI to design this uh, data centers. But um, but yeah. So, uh, and interestingly, Tesla has been uh, taking over some other data centers in Sacramento that Twitter has been giving up uh, space in. So, Twitter has had some issues paying its bills since uh, Elon took over. Um, they've been just cutting costs like crazy and they've been like sometimes just stop paying <laughs> uh, some of their suppliers or or, or service providers. And in uh, the, the information reported that in Sacramento, um, Twitter uh, let go of its uh, lease uh, with uh, NTT Data of uh, one of the its biggest Sacra um, Sacramento data centers. And funny enough, Elon at the time when that happened, Elon said that oh, well, Sacramento is the worst place to have a data center because of the heat and, and, and whatnot. Uh, now Tesla has taken over this facility uh, with data and NTT Data, and apparently they are in talks with Prime Data Centers for another former well another data center in sacramento that was used by uh by twitter so tesla wants that capacity there but they also plan to design their own now data center so that's going to be interesting another uh kind of news that came out of uh, a job posting that tesla recently released uh, for a program manager in business development is for a rental program. So it's something called Tesla rental program. So the, the job listing uh, mentioned that uh, the business development manager is going to be, is going to lead in the launch of the Tesla rental program in Texas. So there's no detail about what it entails exactly. Obviously Tesla rental program sounds like Tesla is going to, is going to rent its, rent its car, its cars. But uh, there is a mention that the, it's going to involve the support support the team on launching a small pilot in all Texas collision sites. Um, so Tesla collision centers are basically body shops. They have five of them in Texas, uh, two in Austin, Houston, one in San Antonio, another in Austin, and one in Dallas. So it, it would make definitely make sense for Tesla to rent cars at their collision centers because your car can be there for a while. Um, if you were in a crash, it can take weeks, unfortunately, even months at time. Unfortunately, I know that Tesla is trying to reduce those times and it can be a lot quicker, obviously, depending on the kind of damage we're talking about. But um, if your car is going to be there for weeks to months at a time, it can make sense to rent a car. Uh, so Tesla can provide that service at the same time. Uh, now, does that mean that it's only going to be for Cushion Center or Tesla plans to launch a broader uh, renting program, car rental program? Maybe because it's not clear, but for the language that they're talking about, it, it, it's, they're talking about the pilot being at all collision center. So if the pilot is in all collision center, then maybe there's a broader program that doesn't involve the collision centers. I don't know. Or maybe it's just about Texas. It's not clear. But Tesla is looking to launch something called Tesla rental program.
So that is the clear information that you need to know from that. Um, but I'm still like 50-50 if it's just about collision center of Tesla Prince who rents its own car. We know that Tesla has had a lot more issues selling vehicles these days because of the interest rates. So it, it might make sense to find alternatives. So lease is one of them, obviously. But uh, rentals could be another solution, even though you can rent Tesla vehicles from other people. Like Hertz is buying 100,000 of them. Uh, Havis also has Tesla vehicle for rent. It's not uncommon these days. All right. Um, we got some data coming in uh, about Tesla Electric. So Tesla Electric has been... Oh, I just spilled some coffee on me. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, Tesla Electric and the Tesla Virtual Power Plants, in my opinion, is one of the most underappreciated Tesla product that is rolling out right now. I think it's going to be a big deal long term because it's already... Very nice, very polished product, very good. And it's just in its infancy. And I think it's going to involve a lot because it's right up Tesla's alley too. It's all about software with hardware integration. It's all about AI uh, in terms of the marketplace and all that. So there's a, there's a lot of things that are like right up Tesla's alley. And for a product that just launched, it's already very good. And obviously... This is a product that becomes great at scale. So over time, it's going to get a lot better. So now uh, the data point that we have is that Tesla confirmed that uh, over the last 10 days or last 10 days since this thing, which was August 7th, that was just yesterday, um, Tesla electric customers in Texas on average made $100 over the 10 days positive. So instead of paying Tesla electric for uh, they're for getting electricity from the rates. They all made a hundred dollars over the last ten days. On a, on average, some people made a lot more than that. I saw some people getting like three dollars a kilowatt hour uh, that they were sending back to the grid. It's crazy, and that's because Texas is in an insane heat wave or uh, in and out. But, but places like Austin got forty straight days over a hundred degree Fahrenheit. That's crazy. I mean, that's almost becoming like unlivable for humans. Like you cannot survive outside for any extended period of time. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Um, 100 over uh, 40 days. I think it's a record all time. Anyway, so that heat wave results in a lot of people running their ACs, a lot, a lot of uh, pressure on the grid, and the electric utilities want to turn up their peaker plants which you don't want to do because one, extremely expensive, two, inefficient, but less efficient than bigger plants, so more polluting. So what you want is you want batteries to squash that peak instead of being whoop like that. It goes whoop, ooh, like that, and you can handle that a lot better. And then you can supplement that with solar, with wind, and whatever. But for that, to have that battery capacity, they need to deploy like mega packs in large volume or they need to take advantage of distributed asset. And that's what Tesla Electric does. If you have a power wall, you can jump onto Tesla's electric plan. And then when they need to, they can just siphon out some of that capacity from your power walls and you get paid for it. Um, you basically become your own electric utility. And it's working right now very well in Texas with a relatively small sample size, but the, and that's what's so cool about it. The more they add them, the better it's going to get. So I'm very, very hyped about that product. I just cannot be more uh, bullish on Tesla Electric and virtual power plants.
And Tesla has like over half a million power walls now in the world, so deployed already. So the, uh, there's a lot of, there's already a lot of opportunities that they can take advantage of as they deploy more virtual power plant and Tesla electric um, utilities product. And there's just there's more power walls coming out every day. Uh, we had a little update still in Texas about Nax. So it wasn't sure if it was going to go through. We reported before that Texas was the first state to raise its hand and it's like, ah, we're actually going to force uh, deployment of Nax connector in order to get subsidies for your charging stations. Uh, there was some pushbacks from charging station company, uh, mainly over uh, you because you wouldn't take that because basically all of them announced that they would adopt Nax, but they are they are afraid of um, supply. Uh, so they, they are afraid that they're not going to be able to get their hands on the Nax connector in time. And they don't want that to prevent them from getting access to subsidies because it would slow down the rollout of their charging station. Uh, the, like a reasonable complaint. But um, so it pushed the vote from the Texas Department of Transportation and the commission to, to adopt this new initiative. But uh, this week they went ahead with it and they approved it. So now Texas has become the first state that is going to require you uh, if you want to have access to the $400 million in subsidy that's the, that the uh, Texas is going to get. And that's federal subsidies. So, so that's the, so the, the $5 billion that the federal government is distributing in, in subsidies. Texas is getting the, the most and uh, more than any other state at $407 million, if I remember correctly. Yep, $407 million. So now if you want to have access to that, you're going to have to have both CCS and NAX because CCS is still required by the federal government. So the federal government has its own requirements, and that includes get CCS on your charging station. And But the states can put some requirements on top of that. And Texas has decided on top of it, we're going to put NAX. I think that's the right move. Um, I think all other states should do that if the federal government doesn't change its requirement and do it itself, which I have my doubts about. But um, the states have all the power to do it. They should do it because otherwise you're just you're not going to use that that four hundred million dollars efficiently. Uh, not only today there is more Nax vehicles out there, aka Tesla vehicles, than any other charging connector, Shademo, or obviously CCS is bigger than Shademo now, but. Shademo and CCS combined as fewer vehicles out there than Tesla has with the NAX. So it makes more sense to have the NAX. And Ford, GM, Rivian, all of them have now uh, announced that they are switching over to NAX in 2025. So it just makes no sense. You should have NAX on those stations. Otherwise, you're, there's not, I'm not saying there's no value in doing a CCS-only station right now. There, there is some value in that because there's going to be more CCS vehicles coming out too. But it's not as efficient as if you have both of them or even just just NACs and you put an adapter at this point. I don't know. One of those solutions. All right, we have a few more news items to discuss and then we're going to jump into the comment section. So I see there's still people coming in now. I know that's not the usual time we're doing the show, so there's fewer people watching live. But that means that I'm going to have the time to go through all your questions most likely. So if you do have a question or a different uh, subjects, uh, EV subjects that you want us to discuss, Today, jump into the comment section right now on YouTube uh, or LinkedIn or uh, Facebook. I don't, I don't see any question from Facebook or Twitter right now. So I don't know if I can, I don't know if it's working. But if you're on LinkedIn or uh, YouTube, uh, there's no problem. I'm going to see uh, your questions right now. All right. Acura, Honda's uh, luxury brand, is launching its home EV for the first time. 
Uh, so they they took their they took their sweet time to jump onto the EV bandwagon, uh, like a lot of other Japanese automakers, really. But now the first one is coming, and it's uh, it's it's looking pretty good so far. The ZDX electric SUV launched this week at the Monterey Car Week, and um, I'm a fan of uh, of the looks. Look at that. Not a bad looking SUV right there. Look at that. Like the that side angle is pretty good. They have those big brakes, those big caliper right there, like that. Not sure about this. Like I, I could could have been another color here. I don't know how, about the joint, but the whole bottom part of it is sleek, nice headlights. The ZDX electric. Nice interior. Little red accent lights. Yeah, I'm a fan. Now, jumping into the specs, I think you're going to like those too. So you can have it. You can have the ZDX A specs or S specs, and they're both available in dual motor powertrain. Uh, but the A spec is also available in single motor um, powertrain. Uh, starting at 340 horsepower, the S type gets 500. Range here. Pretty good range of 325 miles if you get the single motor, 288 for the dual motor, both on the same 102 kilowatt hour battery pack, so a very large battery pack. Not the most efficient vehicle for getting that kind of range of a battery pack, but uh, uh, I'm optimistically hopeful about maybe Honda Acura trying to be a little bit more conservative on the range side, hopefully. Uh, But the thing that is getting me a little bit less optimistic is the wheels. So it's on the 20, 20 inch wheels for the the base one and twenty two for the bigger one. So that makes a big difference here, obviously. Three hundred thirty five hundred pound towing capacity, and the price the price starts at sixty thousand dollars, which is not bad for an Acura, not bad for a new vehicle. Period. Uh, these days, I it's it's, it's just a I think it's like $10,000 more than the average new car sell price right now, something like that. It's, it's pretty crazy these days. Uh, you have a charging capacity of 190 kilowatts, so not top of the line, but not bad either. They're talking about uh, 81 miles in 10 minutes. Uh, I, I, I really like more like the 0 to 80 or 10 to 80% of that like metric. It's, it's more useful for most people. Obviously, your mileage may vary, and there's a lot of things that can affect uh, charging capacity. Oh, yeah, I should mention the versus the A-type, A-S-type. Also, you have uh, air suspension for the A-type versus just fixed coil suspension for the, the A-type. So that's another also big difference. Um, big announcement in Quebec yesterday. Ford and SK, which have been partners on batteries uh, for a little bit now, they have like, what, three or four battery factories in the U.S. Um, in, in operation, construction, or announced. Now they're announcing a giant cathode factory, With cathode is a, is a big part of uh, battery manufacturing. Um, in uh, Quebec's Battery Valley in Bécancourt, we've talked about Bécancourt a few times. It's, it's been called right now the Quebec's Battery Valley, because of all the investment that's happening in the very little town, really. Um, it's a little town, but it's just on the other side of the river from uh, Trois-Rivières, which is a, a much bigger city. Well, not a bigger city, but it's a city. It's uh, 150,000 people, something like that. 
so Bécancourt has had investment from GM and Posco for, for their own uh, anode battery plant, I think, uh, or elect. I don't, I don't remember what they're producing, Posco. Uh, but you have the lithium processing being there with Nemesca Lithium, which is uh, being uh, worked with uh, Livent. Uh, you have Nouveau Monde Graphite, which is uh, producing uh, anode uh, material, graphite. And um, you, you have a bunch of other smaller um, projects there. I was hoping that this was going to be an actual battery cell factory because you have all the ingredients being produced there. You just, you just need the actual battery cell production. Uh, but short of that, this cattle factory is a big deal because uh, it's a huge one. It's a $1.2 billion facility that's going to produce 45,000 tons of cattle material per year starting in the first half of 2026. So it, it's a massive endeavor here. So that's it's very good. And there's just not that much bad, uh, cattle production in, in North America right now. So it's going to be a big game changer to, to really build the battery supply chains down to the resource in North America rather than going through other countries like China. Uh, it's going to be NCM. So nickel, manganese, nickel, manganese, uh, cobalt, uh, cobalt batteries. So it's going to be for more uh, high energy density vehicles the battery capacity yeah they're already starting construction on the 280,000 square meter three million square feet facility so again giant facility on six floors uh it's going to create 345 new jobs i'm surprised that's pretty low number for a 1.2 billion dollar facility it's going to produce 45,000 tons of cam per year but yeah it's uh it's very good for ford obviously because it's going to ensure that they're going to stay on track with the requirements for the battery battery components com coming into the, the vehicles that they come from North America or countries that have free trade agreement with the U.S. Uh, so that's going to reduce the reliance on China and ensure that Ford's and its future electric vehicles keep access to the full tax credit in the U.S. for the vehicles sold in the U.S. All right, last piece of news before we jump into the comments is about Jaguar. We don't talk a lot about Jaguar because they only have the iPace. <laughs> and the iPace has kind of been a stale program now for a few years. And of course, there was the recent battery recalls, the over the fire uh, issue or fire risk, which is something that we reported last year. And we told Jaguar this is going to be a problem. You should do something about it. Took them about a year to. Uh, to figure it out, but now they've done it. And now what they said is that this is going to be the last, the new model year is the last year of the Jaguar. Uh, it's going to have a new GT version of it. Uh, but the 2024 model year is going to be the last year with the 2025, which is going to be, they're talking about like a re whole revamp of the uh, Jaguar brand in 2025 because they want to go all electric by 2030, even though they, they haven't done anything since launching the, the high pace. Um, now they are, killing the IPAs for the next generation of electric vehicles that are going to come out in 2025. So enjoy the last year of the IPAs. All right. Let's jump into the comment section. Let's see what you guys have to say. And I appreciate for one of you that's joining in the show early today. I know that's uh, 
that's not uh, ideal if you have like a, your routine of watching the show live at uh, 4 p.m. on Eastern time. Uh, but I appreciate you being here. And if you do appreciate the show back, uh, if you can give us a thumbs up right now, a like, click the like button on whatever app you're watching. It helps the show a lot. If you can subscribe to for um, and, and hit the notification button to know when we go live. If we ever go live, not at the same time again like this, very useful. Uh, and if you're listening right now on your podcast app, if you can give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you're using, that helps the show a lot. It's free to do, takes a second, and we appreciate every single one of you that do it. All right, uh, Patrick, it's great to be here. Thanks to be here, Patrick. Uh, he's a car sound designer. Mm. All right, that's interesting. Uh, we have Juan Nguyen. He said, I don't, uh, I don't like the name Canada. Okay. <laughs> That's not usual. Uh, Philippe Lavoie says, uh, question, hey, Fred, what's your current expectation for Cybertruck versions and range at launch? Yes. Um, so there's been a lot of rumors about that. Uh, historically speaking, Tesla has been doing with the higher hand, but not necessarily the top end version of the vehicles first. Like, uh, for example, like the Model 3 Performance was in, was in the first to launch and, and and so forth. But the Model S, the Plaid, the uh, different. So it's different with, with every car, but normally it's definitely not the cheapest version. It's at least the second cheapest or the top version, either one of those. There have been rumors that the tri-motor was going away and they were going to do a quad motor. So there, there's, a, there's a lot of different rumors here. One thing for sure, I think what's going to happen is like Tesla is going to try to stick to the limit uh, in the U.S. at least of the $80,000 top price. Now we've seen a lot of electric pickup trucks coming out that are versions that are go over that. And I wouldn't be surprised if Tesla does have a version that go over that, which might explain why Tesla would not launch the top version first and a version that's under $80,000, which might be a tri-motor, might be a dual-motor version. Uh, But... um, that's going to be the price point that they're going to aiming for. So I would expect at least under eighty thousand dollars for the first version. And uh, and yeah, that that would make sense to me. A dual motor, three hundred and fifty miles. That 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 would be uh, a good selling point. At the same time, you know, Tesla doesn't get doesn't like to get one up by another company. And GM right now with the Silverado Electric and then that 200 kilowatt hour battery pack, the the 450 miles of range, they are raising a lot of eyebrows. A lot of uh, pickup truck buyers that are looking at this, like, all right, now 450 miles of range, I can start towing with this, and even if I lose 100, 200 miles of range, I can still get some good distance of a good towing capacity for. So for actual truck users that use their truck as trucks. Um, this is uh, very nice, and, and Tesla has talked about a 500 mile cyber truck before. Uh, so, and and when Tesla announced specs, normally they are pretty good at staying close to those specs. The pricing is where Tesla has slipped before and slips today too. So, I think we could see still Tesla at the very least announce a 500 miles version of the Cybertruck um, with the with the launch. I don't know that's going to be the first version though. That's that's my take on this. Uh, Sudan Susa, how do I contact you? Actually, you want to write EV domain content for your website? Well, we're not looking to hire right now, but uh, you, you can send me your CV. Uh, my email is available on the website. Uh, 
Joe M said, will a standard range Model S be eligible for the $7,500 rebate? No, it, it won't be. I think, what was it? It's $55,000 for the sedan, I think, is the, the top price. So it's not, uh, it's, it's not going to be. Carl in San Diego, a frequent listener of the podcast, says, with GM a dragging ass on production because they can't build their custom batteries quickly enough, Honda Acura itched themselves the wrong partner. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> um, I've said it before. I'm not a big fan of those huge legacy automakers partnering on EV platform. To me, it's 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 a bad look. They are like giving up on uh, expertise and, and production capacity for what is going to be the. It's not only the future of the industry; it, it is the present of the industry right now. Uh, so when Ford uh, works with VW and and, and uh, GM with Honda and all that, it's just, it, it's like invest in your own capacity to build these vehicle platform because otherwise you'll, you'll, you'll be left behind. I'm just, I don't get it. Uh, Ismael says, any company that announced a new battery factory will see production years down the road. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously it takes some time to to set up production capacity. But if you're referring to the Ford and SK plan, I think uh, they said half uh, midway through 2026. That's a, a very good production timeline, I think. Uh, there's no, it's, it's not too late behind. It's not, it's not too ambitious either. It uh, looks like it's uh, reasonable. Carl in San Diego says again, Ultium vehicles are all inefficient. GM choose to ignore efficiency and double down on bloated giant brick vehicles so they have more batteries for every car produced, thus limiting production more. Well, that that's true, but I, I think, like you said, they, they are having issues like ramping up production right now uh, to, to large quantities uh, of the Ultium cells. So, Ultium uh, cells and, and, and battery pack and modules and the whole thing, really. So it makes sense to focus on the, the these lower volume because it's not just the battery packs that are big and efficient. It's the vehicle itself is by its like the GMC Hummer. It's a low volume vehicle either way. There's not that many people that's going to pay hundred thousand dollars on a Hummer. Um, the Lyric is a little bit less expensive, but it's but it's uh, it's still a, a luxury vehicle. So it's more right now that they are focusing on those lower volume vehicles that even though they use big batteries that you could make more vehicles with fewer batteries well you can more vehicles with the same batteries you you won't make that many vehicles anyway so might as well focus on the more luxury end of the market that uh is easier to justify with a longer range basically it's easier to sell uh, with with the the longer range so i'm not too worried about that I, i mean gm for years used to only sell the boat which was fairly efficient with the 66 kilowatt battery pack. So I, I don't I don't think they have completely like given up this idea. I think they have taken this approach of iron market down with the new Ultium platform. And that's what we're seeing now. Now I would keep an eye on it because for sure we're seeing a trend here. Uh, but I, I think the, the the smaller battery packs are are coming. I don't think there's any doubt about that. The new name for Frank will no longer be portmanteau for the two Words front and trunk. It's not efficient. I claim a frunk utility and parcel area. <laughs> Fupa. <laughs> All right, good one, Yan. Good one. I prefer Fupa to the what, what the Fisker tried to do. Fruit, fruit, uh, whatever it was. Dan asked my favorite color. <laughs> okay, I don't think that's super uh, interesting for the show, but let's say uh, black. I love black. You can see I have a black and white type of uh, color scheme in the background here. 
Um, are you and Seth attending the fully charged event next month in BC? It was not canceled. I thought they were canceling their or pushing back their fully charged event. But no, we have no plan. Uh, next month, we're all going to be in uh, Munich for uh, IAA. So we have that. And then I, I'm staying in Europe for a few weeks. And then, and then I'm coming back. Uh, so I, I don't think we, we're going to have anyone there. Carl has another question. Since you have some financial interest of the industry, have you tried to investigate profitability of all EV models model by model? There seems to be an assumption that profitability isn't hard. Is not hard? Is that really what you meant? Because I think it is hard. It is very hard. I mean, as of right now, uh, I don't think there's many people that are in Tesla that's profitable selling electric vehicles before credits. Because obviously, there's credits, uh, emission credits change the whole game. Because all these legacy automakers still sell a lot of uh, polluting vehicles, and to be profitable selling those polluting vehicles, they can sell EVs at a loss, get the credit to compensate for those, and then they keep their margins on their gasoline vehicles. So there's that. That's the big game changer here. But actually, like without any subsidies. Uh, I think EVs are still hard to be profitable. I think Volkswagen is turning things around right now. Um, obviously, Tesla. Uh, but GM, I mean, they have to make money on the Hummer or something. I don't, I don't, I'm not even sure if they do. Um, Ford, I'm sure that Ford is having issues with the F-150 Lightning right now, especially with the price cuts. I wouldn't be surprised if they're making much money on that. Uh, but but they're, they're all... They, I think like you have to understand that a lot of them are... Like Tesla has several generations of vehicle ahead of a lot of these automakers. So Ford right now with the F-150 Lightning, they are clear this is like the first generation and they are learning from that. And they expect the second generation to be the profitable one and the much higher volume one too. So it's it's all these things that need to be kept in mind. Uh, Stefan asks, uh, do you think Cybertruck will have some sort of wall factor, vehicle to grid or vehicle to home? I understand they want to canalize their power wall market, but they don't want to uh, canalize them on, but maybe they could pair them. You see, you need one power wall to enable them. That that last thing that you just said, I think is going to be the, I don't think there's going to be the wall factor for the Cybertruck. Honestly, I don't even, I don't, uh, I don't think vehicle to grid, vehicle to home, vehicle to everything is not that big of a wow factor to me. I, I, I think when it first when it first came out, well, like uh, maybe when the Ionic Five uh, came out and Hyundai had some marketing around it, like it, it got some momentum and people were a little bit excited about it. But in, for the masses, I don't think it's a difference maker for most people. It might be a difference maker for some. There's no doubt, but I, I my intuition would be it's not that big of a difference maker for most people um because there's so much value in having energy storage capacity at your house without having your car there like you don't you don't want your car to be your energy storage capacity uh, as your home if it's going to be on a use on a daily basis uh it's great to have vehicle to home capable vehicles in term of an emergency. So if there is uh, something happened, God forbid, a solar flare, whatever it is, and you have like, there's the grid is, is, is crude for weeks, uh, it would be nice to have the capacity to use your car 
uh, which has a hub to 100 kilowatt hour battery pack, so it can last you a week or more uh, if you're uh, cautious about your electricity use to power your home. That would be nice. But on a day-to-day, like for a Tesla electric vehicles, for, for uh, sorry, for Tesla electric like uh, rate programs where you can send the energy back to the grid and make money for that, you don't want to use your car like that and, and drain your battery on your car uh, on a daily basis. You would want a power wall for that, I think. So yeah, I think the 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 ultimate product, like it, it's going to be expensive though, obviously. But if money, no object, I think something like a, a power wall that is both a, an energy storage device and a, a charging station and a vehicle to grid a bi-directional charging station, I should say then, then that I think is the, the, the best solution because you can use the power wall or several power wall for your day-to-day use of energy storage. So taking in your solar uh, storing it at night, redistributing, uh, sending electricity back to the grid when the, the grid requires are at peak, getting your money from that, and charging your car. But then, when you when something bad happens and you might need more energy storage capacity, boom, you plug your car into it and you, you, the, the the electricity goes both ways. Um, and then maybe you can have also you can charge on solar with it, another Tesla product uh, to uh, to to extend that capacity. So there's a lot of things to do with that, but I don't. One, I don't think it's going to be the wall factor of the Cybertruck. I I think the wall factor of the Cybertruck is controversial, obviously, but it's the design. I think that some people hate it, some people love it, but it looks like there's enough people who love it that it is a wall factor. Uh, so there's that. Um, other wall factor, I don't. I don't think there's going to be other like a big game changer coming out of it, but. Elon did say that they are packing a lot of new technology in it. So I don't, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, Carl is expanding on his comment about profitability because he, I think BMW is still selling EVs at a loss, but no one investigates these things and company won't disclose. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem. Like, there's not much to investigate. Um, they are not breaking things down. The only one that we can get into is like Ford. They're, they're, I mean, I talk about legacy automakers here. Obviously, we can get into like Rivian, Lucid, Fiskers. Like this, these are all electric vehicles. Everything is in there, so you can get into that. But for the legacy automakers, it's it's not transparent at all. Other than what Ford did with splitting up the company, so now we have a clearer, more transparent look at their EV business versus the gasoline business. So and kudos to Ford for doing that. Uh, but the others are not really doing that. So no, we, we, we cannot know. Uh, Carl says, uh, thanks for the show. Keeping it going all these years, always helpful to share. Yeah, I appreciate that, Carl. And we're working hard to make things happen. And uh, thanks everyone for listening this week. Uh, it was a quicker show, uh, but um, I'm having a busy day. <laughs> I had to get moving, but I think we covered some cool subject. I hope you appreciated the time and I uh, appreciated yours for sure. Uh, we're going to see you at 4 p.m. Fall goes well, 4 p.m. next week. And Seth's going to be there and is going to maybe tell us a little bit about his Japan trip, <laughs> if you care to know. All right. I see you all next week. Have a good weekend. Stay safe out there, everyone. We are out.